Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The latest developments on the biggest stories, plus analysis of what they mean to you. Stay informed with Vicki McKenna on News Talk 1130 WISN. Program. I'm Vicki McKenna, News Talk 1130 WISN, and apparently I'm working and Dave's working and everybody's working except government. You're all working, right? I put this up on Twitter today. I said, how many of you are at work today? It's President's Day. Of course you're working. We're all working. <laughs> this is one of those phony holidays. All right, well, here's what we're going to do on the program today. Uh, we'll check in with Dr. Lowell Holtz, candidate for DPI. Uh, there has been a, the confusing story out there the conf, it, that is trying to present itself as a scandal. Um, I think it's got a lot of people tuned out of the DPI race. So I encourage people to tune back in if you can. The primary is tomorrow. And there is somebody who is running who would like to do some substantial uh, reforms to Wisconsin schools. And we'll be chatting with him on the program today. So Dr. Holtz will be on the show. We also want to talk about Tom Barrett uh, pounding the desk. Let me do that again. He's pounding the desk. Darn it. It's, it's, it's that the state of Wisconsin just won't pass laws that allow the city of Milwaukee to stop the gun violence. It's the state of Wisconsin's fault. It's the law-abiding gun owner in the state of Wisconsin's fault. And that is why Milwaukee is overrun with gun violence. Cue up the broken record one more time. So here's Milwaukee again posting new data on, in this particular case, the number of illegal guns seized from people in the city of Milwaukee. Tom Barrett holds a press conference, puts the guns on a table, says it's a tragedy. I, I demand the state of Wisconsin give us more money so that we can take illegal guns off the street. I demand the state of Wisconsin change the law to penalize misdemeanor offenses so that Milwaukee can finally save its citizens from the gun violence. All right. So here's my proposal. We'll do it as a test case scenario. Have misdemeanor violations penalized by taking away somebody's right to keep and bear arms only in the city of Milwaukee. Only in the city of Milwaukee. What do you say? Because we're not having these problems anywhere else outside the city of Milwaukee. So if Mayor Barrett seems to think that the end-all, be-all answer to gun violence in Milwaukee is to penalize misdemeanor offenses by taking away somebody's right to keep and bear arms, well, okay, 
only in the city of Milwaukee. But if you're going to take away someone's gun rights, because that's what we do. We take away someone's gun rights when they're convicted of a felony. We take away someone's voting rights when they're convicted of a felony. Then let's disenfranchise the misdemeanor offender from all of these different accesses to civic life. So you can't vote if you've been convicted of three misdemeanor offenses and you can't own a gun if you've been convicted of three misdemeanor offenses, but only in the city of Milwaukee. Anybody with me on this? There's not a problem anywhere else but the city of Milwaukee, apparently, with people committing misdemeanor offenses going on then to commit acts of violence with guns or uh, uh, to, to believe Tom Barrett, if you'd like to. He says it's a serious problem in the city. Now, mind you, the police budget in the city of Milwaukee is $300 million. $300 million. That's an awful lot of money to get very little accomplished, don't you think? Be that as it may, apparently Milwaukee is such a unique city, not just in the entire state of Wisconsin, but presumably in the entire nation, that Milwaukee needs a special law. But all right, if we're going to treat misdemeanor offenders like we treat felon offenders, then let's treat misdemeanor offenders like we treat felon offenders wholesale. Can't vote, can't buy a gun, can't have a gun in your possession if you have been convicted of three misdemeanor offenses in the city of Milwaukee. Somebody needs to propose the legislation. Milwaukee apparently is unique unto itself, and we will allow Milwaukee to be, to, to be governed under a special and unique law. But even if we did this, and we're not going to do this, even if we did this, folks, would that do anything to stop the rising tide of violence in the city of Milwaukee? Raise your hand if you think that's going to do anything. See, if your hand is up, you're an idiot. Here's why. We have laws on the books, folks, penalizing felons in possession of guns. Felons in possession of guns. And how many of those felons caught in possession of a gun are not charged as felons in possession of a gun? Mind you, all you need to prove that a felon is in possession of a gun is to arrest a felon who has a gun. You don't really need to do a whole lot of heavy lifting to prove the case. You arrest a felon, the felon has a gun, we now have a charge of felon in possession of a gun. 47, I'm sorry, 40% of the time, the felon in possession of a gun isn't even charged. 40% of the time, mind you, you do not have to roll a boulder up the backside of a mountain to make the case that the felon in possession of a gun is actually in possession of the gun. All you have to do, as I pointed out, is have the felon with a gun. Kabam, you've got felon in possession of a gun. Piece of cake. Forty percent are not even charged as being felons in possession of of guns. Of the ones that are charged, of the other 60 percent, 20 percent of them won't even do a year. 20 percent of them won't even do a year. The other 80 percent do less than three years. We don't take felons in possession of guns seriously in Milwaukee. 40% aren't even charged. 20% do less than a year in prison who are charged. And the other 80% do less than three years in prison if they're charged. 
How does Tom Barrett seem to think that adding additional offenses is somehow going to empower the Milwaukee judicial system that seems disinterested in sentencing felons in possession of guns to serious jail time and a district attorney's office that seems disinterested in charging felons in possession of guns with the very serious offense of being a felon in possession of a gun? How does Tom Barrett think that adding misdemeanor offenses is going to empower the judicial system, especially after the state law changed in 2015, permitting judges to install mandatory minimum sentences for violent felons in possession of guns? What does Tom Barrett really think he's going to accomplish with this? Answer, nothing! He knows he's not going to accomplish anything. The only reason that he's even talking about this is because new data is out. It makes his administration look bad. It makes Chisholm's office look bad. It makes the Milwaukee County court system look bad. It tees up Sheriff David Clark to, again, check the box on being right on everything. And they're just trying to head off the criticism at the pass. Meanwhile... Milwaukee's going to stay violent. I'll be right back. I don't understand. Well, I guess I do. It's the, it, it, I know that this is an old cliche, but it's the frog in the pot of boiling water. That's people in Milwaukee. You're so used to this that it's, you know, the same old, same old just rhetoric you know, symbolism to substitute for actual action that will improve things on the ground is is um, it's acceptable to the citizens of the city. The Democratic machine that runs the city of Milwaukee has for years and years incrementally increased people's tolerance to things that outside the city of Milwaukee would be completely intolerable, intolerable. Street crime at the level it's in Milwaukee, is intolerable in every other city in the state of Wisconsin. Every other one. The level of chaos and and destruction in the city of Milwaukee is intolerable every place else. I don't, and that includes every place else that's run by a bunch of progressive whack jobs. That level of crime is intolerable. That, the, the disruption... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...of the peace in the streets is intolerable. But over time, you get people used to this. You, you over time, you know, many years, over a decade, you start responding to criticism about the rising tide of chaos and violence with accusations of racism and bad intentions. You do that to keep people quiet so that they don't push back and they don't criticize. And once you've silenced your critics, you've made your critics fear the accusation of racism or the accusation of bigotry or, or whatever else that might be. 
You don't have anybody standing in your right. One person stands, well, two people stand in the way in the city of Milwaukee. One is Bob Donovan. And the news media and the establishment political machine have effectively marginalized him so that he's sort of a voice alone. And then it's David Clark. And the news media and the political machine has attempted to effectively marginalize him. He goes out outside the boundaries of of the uh, you know the, the gatekeepers of political discourse, so he's had more success. But generally speaking, that's what you've got. If both of them are gone, you got nothing. You've got Chicago, and already the per capita homicide rate in the city of Milwaukee is actually higher than it is in Chicago. And what does Tom Barrett have for you? He's beating on Scott Walker in the Republican legislature for not passing a law that would affect all citizens in the entire state of Wisconsin because Tom Barrett can't get a handle on the violence in his own city with a $300 million allocation to the police budget. If you can't solve these problems with $300 million, you're doing it wrong. The state of Wisconsin, if it wants to do anything, it is not to pass new And, of course, the state's not going to do that. The state isn't going to say, oh, geez, well, if that's the only difference between Milwaukee having peace in the streets and not having dead bodies wind up in dumpsters and, and, and success is a simple change in state law, why, by all means, we'll do it. If the state of Wisconsin could actually believe that the difference between Milwaukee being embroiled in chaos and misery and it not being that way and it being a shining you know, polished emerald of success, it would uh, allocate more dollars. But it doesn't because everybody knows that more money isn't going to equal success in Milwaukee. And everybody knows that more gun laws aren't going to equal less crime in Milwaukee. We have gun laws as long, I mean, if you listed them all, they're as long as my leg. They're probably as tall as me. City of Milwaukee doesn't want to do anything about it. Doesn't want to put people in, in jail. When Fox 6 did their story back in October of 2016, and they took a look at the number, by the way, the, the data I was quoting was the analysis that was done by Fox 6, when they took a look at the number of charges of felons in possession of guns and found that 60% of felons caught in possession of a gun, that's an easy one, are not even charged. And that of the ones who are charged, 20% get less than a year in prison, and the other group get less than three years in prison, it left even the normally credulous media scratching its head. Hmm, why is this happening? They asked the court system, well, why is this happening? You guys have a new law in the books where you've got a mandatory minimum sentence option now. Well, that's only for violent felons in possession of guns. Oh, okay. So how are you defining violent felons? Well, you're just not letting us have enough time to analyze this data ourselves, and you're jumping to conclusions. Well, help us analyze the data, said the news team. We'd love to know where we're getting this wrong. And they never got a response. It's time that the state of Wisconsin start calling out the machine in Milwaukee. If Milwaukee were firing on all cylinders, imagine the amount of economic activity it would generate to the bottom line of the budget. 
imagine if instead of taking out dollars because the streets are ever on what run with chaos and you've got businesses that are putting bars on their windows and people afraid to go to gas stations after the sun starts going down because they're worried they're going to get carjacked. Imagine what that city might be able to produce if those weren't the conditions on the street. Imagine instead of having over 70 schools that have fewer than 5% of 8th grade students reading at grade level, if 90% of 8th grade students were reading at grade level, imagine if you didn't have the single highest welfare usage per capita in the zip code 53206, imagine if instead of tolerating, exacerbating, and then promoting the expansion of the failed welfare class, Milwaukee did the exact opposite. What might it look like? What might the entire southeastern Wisconsin corridor look like? What might it look like if instead of having a hollowed out hole in the donut in in southeastern Wisconsin, there it was a giant fat jelly filled Danish. It'd be amazing. But that gets in the way of the political power that the Democrat political machine holds in Milwaukee. Chaos is politically useful. That's the simple truth. Chaos is politically useful. Disastrous, appalling conditions in the schools that produce young people in 12th grade who can't read a job application. That's politically useful. Why? Because it gives the progressives an argument to say that's because a whole bunch of white people hate black people so much they just don't want to help them out. So that when you have people come in and say, well, we'd like to fix the schools, get out of the way, because we need these miserable people to continue making the claim that it's all the fault of society and the institutional racism of the culture that is producing these awful situations in the city of Milwaukee. This gives the left power. Miserable, poor, chaotic people give the left power. And it's one of the few places left in the state of Wisconsin where they hold a lot of power. Think about that. It's the biggest city in the state of Wisconsin. It's got the largest school district. It's got the single largest per capita usage of law enforcement resources. It commands the most attention. It's the only first-class city in the entire state. The Milwaukee liberal contingent, the courts, the city council, the appallingly ineffective school board, the city administration, can wield such enormous authority because they're the population base of the state of Wisconsin. And because the state of Wisconsin, as abysmal as the performance is from the city of Milwaukee, still relies on the economics of the city of Milwaukee to generate enough revenue to the baseline of the budget. And nobody wants to say boo, not inside the city, because the political power base is too, it's too potent. In the meantime, people outside the city of Milwaukee say, you know what, it's not my problem, and I don't really care, and I don't blame you. But you should care because we're a shared revenue kind of state. And Milwaukee needs to be producing a lot more and taking a lot less. The citizens of Milwaukee do not deserve to be held hostage to thug violence, miserable schools, and whole zip codes that become no-go zones after dark. $300 million in law enforcement ought to produce something better than an ever-growing homicide rate. $300 million in law enforcement resources ought to produce better than people getting carjacked. 
And the entire corridor in southeastern Wisconsin ought to demand better than now having to catch the spillover problems from the city of Milwaukee because we all know that crime and chaos is mobile. And instead of anybody standing up and pushing back in any real way, and that includes Wisconsin state legislature, the answer is to simply do everything in your power in your own community to try to put up barriers to resist that spillover and that bleed from the chaos. In the meantime, the left in the city of Milwaukee is trying to find ways to force you to do the exact opposite. It's a failed city. Not because it's completely failed yet or because it's completely bankrupt, but it's a failed city. Tom Barrett would have, rather have a legacy streetcar project than actually do anything to improve the schools, to improve the safety conditions on the ground, to help the people who are generationally dependent. And now, and now their lives are completely destroyed, completely, almost entirely destroyed by a generationally dependent welfare system. Instead of trying to do something to help break that cycle of dependency, he would rather bang his desk and point the finger of blame at the state legislature to take the eyes off him. Because he just, frankly, likes to live on other people's money and doesn't really much care if there's chaos in his wake. That's what we tolerate. It is. We didn't tolerate it any much, much longer. I, don't, I mean, I think we weren't going to tolerate it much longer, but we didn't tolerate it on November 8th nationally. We were sick of it nationally. But apparently in the state of Wisconsin, it hasn't gotten to the point yet where people inside the city proper, they always say, it's local control. Get out of our affairs. Get out of our business. It's none of your business what's going on in the city of Milwaukee. Everything's going fine in the city of Milwaukee. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus yeah all right fine it apparently hasn't gotten bad enough for the people inside the city proper to actually do anything reasonable i guess you're the frog in the pot of boiling water eventually your skin's gonna boil off It'll be really nasty at that point. It's practically already happening. But in the meantime, my message to Tom Barrett and the rest of the city leadership is take your penalties to the citizens who exist outside your disaster, your, 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 your disaster zone of a city. Take your proposed penalties for us and stuff them where the sun don't shine. Don't come after my gun rights because you can't figure out how to put people in jail with the existing laws you have right now in $300 million in taxpayer resources to your law enforcement budget. Don't come and blame the state of Wisconsin taxpayers for not footing the bill for the disaster and the chaos of the Milwaukee public school system. You're already spending $14,000 per student. If that's not enough for you, don't come after us for more. You do your own thing with what you've got to do. I just think the state of Wisconsin needs to start rethinking the concept of shared revenue in its wake. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Speaking of education, um, you know, it seems to me in Milwaukee, three things need to change. Number one, the um, 
the law and order situation. There needs to actually be people who put law and order first. Number two is the fact that the state of Wisconsin and the federal government promote generationally dependent welfare. And number three, the appalling condition of the Milwaukee public schools, which frankly condemns students to not being competitive. And it's with that third item in mind that I introduced Dr. Lowell Holtz on the program to talk about education, to talk about the current conditions, what's failing our kids, and what some simple things we could do uh, to change those conditions, particularly with an eye towards some of our lower-performing school districts. Um, Dr. Holtz, welcome to the program. It's good to have you on the, pro- on the show. Good afternoon, Vicki. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, the first question, though, I want to get out of the way here before we get into the nuts and the bolts of education. And I'm trying to follow the bouncing ball on this story and it's and it's becoming more and more confusing the the more time goes by but it's it appears that the story is now this you and your opponent sat down together prior to either of you having enough signatures to even actually be candidates yet and your opponent presented you with a piece of paper offering you a job if you got out of the race Am I, is that what happened? It's close. Um, the purpose of the meeting was to talk about running a clean campaign and then talking and understanding each other's platform. And if we, had, if we agreed with what needed to be done, um, talking about supporting each other after the primary uh, so that whoever's running would have a better chance against the incumbent. Um, unfortunately, the only interest at that time uh, was for me, they wanted me to drop out of the race. And you know very well that my my wife and I really discussed it a lot before we even got into the race. We prayed about it and really believed that, that it's what God wants us to do. And my campaign team had already put in months' worth of work, and my campaign team was my family and my friends. And there's no way I would ever let down my family, my friends, uh, and my faith, And let alone for... <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It it absolutely makes no sense to even consider it, which is why I walked away from the 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 situation and said I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, so it, at this point in time, when it got to be about a week before the uh, primary, and somebody, you know, was was motivated to bring it out with their own little twist to try to discredit me, which is going to you know try to discredit me when I go up against uh, the incumbent. So that's right. unfortunate because this really needs to be on kids. All right. So the first story accused you of presenting your opponent with the deal. But now as the few days have gone by, it looks like the exact opposite has come out now, that it was your opponent who was working on behalf of some group trying to get you to leave the race and offering you essentially a buyout to do it. Exactly. That's what um, I said from the very beginning. Um, the story didn't change from my side of the the pond. It changed from somebody else's. Yeah, it has changed. It has changed quite dramatically. The question is whether or not people are following along with this bouncing ball, because it is a pretty confusing story. Um, So this, the the idea, of course, I mean, just again, was this so that you guys wouldn't slice and dice each other? The idea was, let's sit down and, and agree not to gut each other in the primary process, because then both of us are wounded, you know, whoever emerges to go up against Tony Evers. Exactly. It was yeah, so much for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know I wouldn't. I had a great job that I left to do this, run for this full time. Um, so it, none of it makes sense for me to even think about doing something like that. All right, let me ask about Beloit. Um, you were uh, the superintendent of Beloit. Uh, prior to your tenure there, there were some serious problems in that particular school district. But now if you take a look at Beloit, it looks pretty solid. What was going on, and how, is, how could you view it, or, or maybe I should ask, do you view it as a microcosm of the problems generally in Wisconsin schools? Uh, very much so, especially in our large urban areas. Uh, I grew up in the urban areas in Milwaukee. And when I saw the opportunity in Beloit, I jumped at it. Um, Beloit had a lower graduation rate for their minorities than either Milwaukee or Madison when I started there. They're on their fifth year as a school a failing, on the failing school list, and um, they needed to get stuff done because they were losing kids. There were, the high school has over 2,400 kids in the high school. It's either the first or second largest in Wisconsin. And they had four active gangs, two Latin American and two African American gangs. And so the first thing we focused on was bringing safety back to the hallways because you can't have a dozen or more fights a day, and that certainly would not be an environment conducive to learning. So we brought safety back to the hallways. We um, met with the community leaders. We met with uh, the business leaders. Uh, We met with the city government. And we really focused on making it a total community effort because – one person imposing some plan from Madison or D.C. isn't going to change anything. People have to own the problem and then be committed and be, you know, have a stake in the, in the process because if it's their solution, they're going to work harder at it. And so what we did was, um, well, we, we put security in the halls that knew who the gang members were and the gang members knew them, and they, uh, you know, we immediately had control of those. I talked with the teachers. They said they were getting pushed around. They didn't have time to teach because they're constantly breaking up fights. So what I did is I guaranteed them that I would have an administrator walk through the class once every period of the day. So if a kid had their head on the desk, so they didn't have to confront the kid that the administrator would because I wanted them to do what they do best, which is teach. And, and what I learned was you give teachers the opportunity to do bell-to-bell teaching and, and get back to what they were called to do, and they're passionate about it. They, they were rock stars. I mean, the, the kids the academic achievement just skyrocketed because we raised the expectations for all the kids. We not only increased from the low end, we also increased the high end by putting more AP classes in. Um, So the whole thing is, the bottom line is, you know, returning safety, discipline, and high expectations. And it's got to be customized for every single failing school. So you have to have a support team that's going to go out and talk with the community, say what, and the parents, and say what are your goals for your kids? You have to go out and talk to them because, you know, there, there's generations of failed uh, parents out there. They've never had a great role model that actually graduated from high school. And um, so what you need to do is work with the, the people in the neighborhood, um, work on the inside on improving the culture and the climate. And it's amazing what happens because this past year, uh, the African-American graduation rate in Beloit was pushing 90 percent, just a little bit below and the Latino population was our, one of our highest performing groups, if not the highest performing group in the high 90s. And um, Milwaukee, by comparison, was at, I believe, 56% graduation rate for African-American, and Madison was worse at 54%. Yep. So, so you had you had a, a big, yeah, not a, not a significantly larger population in Madison, but a substantially larger population in Milwaukee, and both of them had appalling 
numbers when it came to the schools and the students who were failing in those schools. And those failing students and the chaos that they bring with them um, also pay dividends down the line to the other kids who, who just want to get an education. So safety and discipline. Um, discipline hasn't been brought up. In fact, if anything, what's been going on with discipline is shutting down opportunities for teachers to actually have the tools for discipline, uh, which is, of course, wreaking havoc on safety and, by extension, wreaking havoc on learning. That's something that, that we don't really ever talk explicitly about, Dr. Holtz. And I and I, I want to give you a chance to continue on on that. I also want to ask, though, about what is absolutely seems to be the dumbing down of the content inside the classroom. But I want to stay in discipline. How do you replicate Beloit in a city or in a city district the size of Milwaukee? It, you take the neighborhood. You have to focus on the neighborhood. You know, there's, um, you know, take the Sherman Park neighborhood, for example. Um, if you want to focus on Washington, uh, high school and uh, one or two of the K-8 schools that feed into it, you, you, you break it off in chunks and you, you focus on that neighborhood and really give parents the control and the neighborhood back control of the school. Because right now in Milwaukee, the school is controlled by that building that's over off of Elite Street in 50, 50th, somewhere in there. And um, that people are, have such a big disconnect from who's running the schools. So if people... If you return, and I know local control is a cliche, but it really has to be a reality where if, you know, parents are, are upset about something, that they can participate in resolving the issues, not just complain about them. Um, so, yeah, you, you focus on the, the schools that are failing. You send a support team, one that's going to work with the, the area around the, the school and one that's going to work within the school. You know, so you have at least two people at, at each area trying to help them come up with a plan that they have ownership of that'll be successful. And every, you know, every neighborhood in Milwaukee is different. You know, it's uh, one besides being one of the most segregated cities in America. Um, I mean, if you grew, you, you know, Milwaukee better, probably better than I do, but you know, a neighborhood on the South side is going to be different. You know, where my dad's church was on 16th and Greenfield is going to be different from the Sherman park neighborhood where my dad grew up. It's going to be different from, um, old, <laughs> Uh, the, the one over uh, Martin Luther King Drive and, and 4th Street, around 4th and North. Every one of those neighborhoods is different. And so you need to address each one individually. And that's how you get it done. And you can't accept failure. There's, there's, no, there's no excuse for failure. You have to be committed. And it's, you can't just rule from Madison. You have to have people that are willing to go right in there and talk with everybody and get it done. Always, it's, nothing's going to change. You know, if any time you just put a program in place, I mean, the federal government proved, proved that with their last $3.5 billion school improvement grant project that four years later they came out and said not a single program that they uh, paid for with that $3.5 billion showed any increase in academic achievement or closing of the graduation rates. And, and that's, that's pretty me, significant because it shows. Yeah. Let me ask this now as well. As we're talking about getting kids to succeed on what I would argue, and I think you can make the case, I think there's ample data now to make the case, is a lowered level of expectation as far as academics go in the classrooms. How then, or should we, raise academic expectations in the classrooms? Oh, absolutely. And uh, the part of the reason the academic expectations go down is 
Ricky, it, it doesn't take a rocket science to uh, improve your graduation rate if you don't fail anybody. You know, if no one, if, if you're not allowed, teachers are not allowed to fail kids in our large urban areas, and even in some of our suburban areas and rural areas, because it affects the graduation rate. So we have kids coasting through that are there maybe 50% of the time that have absolutely no passing grades that are getting diplomas when they walk across the stage. And the, the point is what, what changed things in Beloit was you, part of the part, I mean, besides doing the safety issue, you work on the inside, raising the expectations for the kids. And uh, kids just, they don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, they could care less. They just want to know that you care about them. And they understand discipline and rules and this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. They get it. And they will rise to the level of expectations if, with the positive reinforcement and encouragement that teachers and the administrators give on, in successful schools. It doesn't matter what the neighborhood is. We have a lot of great examples in Milwaukee. You know, you've, you've got some great uh, voucher and choice examples, you know, St. Anthony's, uh, St. Marcus. You even have some good uh, public school examples, but we're not taking that and we're, we're failing. Like you said earlier in the show, we're making parents take their four-year-old to a school where they know in 10 years they're going to come out of eighth grade with absolutely from a school that has had zero percent of their kids in the past proficient in it. Or I can't even believe that. I, I can't believe that that would be tough. As the more I think about that, as if I were a parent, that would just I, that's so galling. Um, Doctor Holtz, I'm I'm looking at my clock here, and I am actually running out of time. Um, I know that the primary is tomorrow, but if people would like to learn more, because I know that you you know you expand on your thoughts on Common Core, which um, you have you have come out adamantly against, and some other ideas. But where can people find out more about you? Um, www.kidservative.org. And kidservative, it's K-I-D. Instead of conservative, take the con off and put kid in there because the focus has to be on kids. So kidservative.org. Welcome back to the program. You know, the the ideas to to deal with education are are abundant. And this, this um, you know, sort of top-down, centralized, command-control, one-size-fits-all uh, idea of how we're going to fix schools. You had the Obama administration say, well, we're going to fix schools from on high. Frankly, the Bush administration said the same thing. We're going to fix schools from on high. We're going to demand accountability from Washington, D.C., Nobody really cares if you're not going to be accountable to Washington, D.C. It's not really a motivator. Teachers in the classroom that have to fill out the paperwork so the administrators in the school districts who are answerable to DPI, who then are going to be answerable to the federal government, the the teachers filling out the paperwork are getting nothing out of that so-called accountability. And there has been no measurable change since we decided to start going to this idea of federal accountability. Even if you just made it state accountability, that's not going to be enough to turn around failing schools either, which is why Alberta Darling and Del Coenga had come up with a limited turnaround plan for the worst performing schools in Milwaukee. It was about isolating a segment of schools and then trying to tailor solutions to those individual schools. Well, you don't do that if you think you can run everything from Madison. Or you think you can run everything from Washington, D.C. That's one thing. 
This idea that there's a, a sort of centralized command and control CISA structure, and that's how we're only going to run schools in Wisconsin is absurd. I like that Dr. Holtz thinks outside that CISA box. But beyond that, as far as the content in the classrooms, we haven't even looked at that. You need to look at that. So what did they do in Beloit? They looked at different ways to teach reading. They looked at different ways to teach math. They looked at ways to challenge the students on reading and math. The students actually responded because little kids are sponges. And it's amazing what you can do. They've done the same in multiple charter schools. The one that jumps to mind is a very successful charter school in Chicago called Gary Comer College Prep. You take kids who can't read at all, who can't do simple math with single digits, and you teach them using old-style mechanisms of instruction. A lot of it involves direct instruction and rote learning. And you can actually bust through the achievement gap in, some pretty, in rapid fashion in pretty successful ways. Why not do that? Why have we never thought to do that? Why haven't the Republicans thought to do that? Why haven't the Democrats thought to do that? Why is everything always about centralized control? Um, it, you know, I, I honestly believe if Lowell Holtz were given a lot of rope at DPI and he actually managed to get through and become DPI superintendent, you might see some of those innovative ideas funneling down to some of the most troubled schools. And if, in fact, direct instruction and in teaching kids sort of an easier way to learn reading and teaching them what they actually need to know in order to be competitive in a job environment, if that actually started to populate itself beyond the one or two case examples that we can always cite for these high-performing schools um, in the midst of the chaos, then they'd start to, you'd start to see those models replicated across most schools, including schools that were not considered failing schools. And that just raises, it raises the bar across the board. But it isn't raising the bar across the board in an artificial way with, you know, these nebulous measurements of achievement or proficiency. It's raising the bar by actually empowering parents to get in there and demand that the bar be raised. I like the idea. I don't know if Dr. Holtz can get through the primary. It remains to be seen tomorrow. But it would be nice. To get a little breathing room with regard to education. I'm out of time. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus